God is indeed faithful, is He not? It is a complete joy to be here with you. Thank you for joining us here at Main Street Baptist Church. Whether you are gathered online or in person, it is an absolute joy to be able to come together in congregational worship to lift our voices high, praising God for everything that He has done and continues to do in our lives. You know, as I was preparing for this morning, one of the things that kept going through my mind was the fact that everybody and everything that we encounter seems to be buying for our attention, seems to be lobbying for our affection and our attention. And it is very easy to get swept up into the emotional side of these things. It's easy to have that overshadow what is truly important in our lives. And this last week, we had an experience like that. This last week, with the storm hitting and a lot of us were scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. How to keep our families safe, how to keep our houses warm, how to keep uh, food on the table. Some people were prepared, some people not so much. But we were so focused on that, that while that's important to, to think about, sometimes we kind of overlook the blessing that God put in front of us. Let me tell you what I mean. I saw a lot on social media over the week of people complaining because they didn't have certain things. They didn't have the right kind of creamer for their coffee. They didn't have certain aspects that they were so accustomed to. And I know for me, I have to have a specific type, right? But what they were missing was the fact that we had a wonderful blessing. Yes, we were staying at home. Yes, we couldn't get out on the roads. Yes, we were forced to stay inside of our homes, to stay safe, to stay warm even dealing with power outages and all the other things. But what we had was an intentional intentional time with our families. We had a time to come together, to talk, to interact, to play games, to be unplugged, to be disconnected from the world, and to just enjoy each other. But there were a lot of people that were missing that one point. They were missing the fact of what they had in front of them because they were so worried about the change that had approached their lives, that had taken over. This is something that when we go through our day-to-day, we have to guard against. We have to stand up and realize that we are called as Christians, as disciples, to something more important. We're called to look past this world and the challenges that come and look at what God is calling us to do over Matthew chapter 28. This is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples for all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, when we read this passage, there are two things that jump out at us. Number one is that we are to be intentional about sharing the gospel. We are to be intentional about going out and sharing God's love and His grace with the world. And number two, we have a promise that He will be with us always. He's not sending us out to do this on our own. He's there. He's going to equip us. He's going to give us the ability. He's going to give us the stuff that we need in order to carry out this great commission. But sometimes we fall short in doing this. Sometimes we fall short in talking about God. 
Sometimes we fall short in showing that God is the most important thing in our lives. And one of the reasons is that we experience change. We experience change in our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes these changes affect the way we think, the way we act, the way we speak, and the way we feel about various things. A lot of times we don't like change. And a lot of times we don't give change a chance. Because it's not what we're used to. It's not what the norm is. It's not what I've always done. You know, when we look at the world we're living in, change is all around us. The world is changing so fast, so rapidly, and it's pulling us in multiple directions. And when we experience this kind of change in our lives, both positive and negative, what happens is we get caught up in a whirlwind of emotions. And these emotions range anywhere from being vulnerable to feeling sad to being afraid of what's coming, to be uncomfortable with things changing from how we're used to or how we prefer. And we start putting our personal preferences on things instead of looking at what is coming with the change. These feelings that we have start to tend, they tend to creep up on us. And before we're aware of it, they've taken root in our hearts and in our lives. And they start to affect everything about us. And before we're aware of it, They come out in how we interact with others. They come out in how we go on social media. They come out in our conversations, in our actions, and they overshadow what we claim is the most important thing in our life, which is a relationship with God. Now, this is nothing new because multiple generations before us and multiple generations after us are going to experience the same kind of change. This is not anything that we are first experiencing. This uneasiness about change and what it means for the future. And one of the questions that arises from cultural changes, one of the things that arises from the changes that we experience daily in our lives is how is this going to affect... Sorry, this thing just doesn't want to stay on my ear. How is this going to affect future generations? What are they going to think What are they going to to remember? What kind of legacy are we leaving behind? What are they going to remember from us? What am I teaching them? You know, when I look at my own life and who I am today, there's a couple of things that come to mind right away. Number one, first and foremost, I'm a child of God. Period. I'm a child of God. That is number one in my life. My Savior has redeemed me. And He's always been faithful. He always carries His promises out. I'm a child of God, number one. Number two is kind of split. And it's who makes me the worldly person that I am. I'm a big sports fan. And I'm an outdoors fanatic. I remember growing up playing football. And I remember strapping on the pads and taking the field. And I loved every moment of it. And if I wasn't in the middle of playing a game, I was talking about the game. With anybody and everybody who would listen or pay attention to me. I was talking about players. I was talking about different plays that we ran. Different things I saw on the TV. When my wife and I first got together, I was watching every Friday night game, every Saturday game, every Sunday game, every Monday night game, and on occasion the Thursday games. 
That was who I was. I still love sports. If I'm not doing that, I'm an outdoors fanatic. Camping, hiking, hunting, all of that. It's who I am. It's what makes me who I am. It's what makes me a well-rounded person. But as much as I enjoy those things, I have to realize they are just hobbies. That's not what life is about. My relationship with God is above all that. My relationship with God should be first and foremost. Everything else comes after that. Everything. I love being able to teach my son this part of me with the sports and with the outdoor stuff and watch him grow in his own love for these aspects. I love it. I love sharing the time with him. I love the bonding that happens. But as his father, there's something much more, that I, much more greater than I am called to. It is my responsibility to raise him, to nurture him into the young man that God has called him to be. As parents, we are called to nurture our children. We're called to teach them about what a relationship with God looks like. We're called to instruct them on the ways. We're called to put that above everything else. And as parents, we're always going to pass on what we're passionate about to our children, to our grandchildren, and on down the line. What you are passing on to your children may not have anything to do with sports or outdoors. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's a craft. Maybe it's building something. Whatever it is you are passionate about, whatever you spend your time with, that's where your focus is. That's where your heart is. And that's what you're passing on to your kids. Whether you realize it or you don't. Because they're watching They're watching your actions. They're watching your words. They're watching what you claim is the most important thing in your life. And we need to be intentional about what it is that we're doing. I've seen people go to a concert, go to a football game, and they are so full of emotion, or even watching it on TV, and they're so full of emotion, and they're yelling at the screen. They're yelling at their teams. Score! Touchdown! They are really excited. And then they come to church on Sunday morning. And it's, oh, happy day. Happy day. Yep. What are we teaching our kids? We're teaching them that the sports, the hobbies, that is where we're passionate. And God takes a back seat. We don't have the energy to express to our Savior who gave everything for us. But we do to a football team. We do to the hobbies that we play. You know, one of the things that over my little over a decade of being in ministry that I find sad is that I've been to a lot of funerals. And it breaks my heart every time. To hear people get up and say, well, my my dad or my mom was a great businessman. Man, they played tennis, they played golf, they played football better than anybody I've ever seen. They spent every waking hour doing that. They were great at it. People loved it. People respected him from a business standpoint. 
And that's what they remember. Not, you know, they were always there for me. They were always there when I needed a shoulder to cry on. They were always sharing love with me. More often than not, it's on the worldly aspects. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and he said that over the last week or two, he's been reading the obituaries. And he said, spot after spot was exactly that. Of how great they were from a worldly aspect, but not from a loving father or mother. And that's sad. But that's where we have shifted culturally. That's where we've shifted as a world. And that's what we're passing on to our generations. And it needs to switch. Over the years, I've heard parents say, I'm taking a step back. I'm not pushing anything on my kids. I don't want to force them to do certain things. Well, guess what? You are the only one that's doing it. As much as I respect that decision, you are the only one that's not pushing anything on your kids. And if you have trouble imagining that, look at the next advertisement you see. Advertising and marketing firms are targeting younger generations. And the reason why they're doing it is because they know that's where the future lies. That's where the money is. That's where the world's success is. And so they're targeting the younger generations. So if we as parents are going, you know what, I'm not going to make my kid go to church. I'm not going to have them sit down and study scripture. I'm not going to, because I don't want to force that on them. What you are doing inevitably is you are forcing world on them. Because you are eliminating the option and giving them world. Because the world is doing it. And it doesn't matter where they go to school. It doesn't matter if they're homeschool, public school, private school. It doesn't matter if they have social media or not. It doesn't matter if they play a sport or not. They're being bombarded. You drive down the highway, you see it on billboards. You turn on the radio, it's there. You listen to some of our music, it's there. They're being bombarded. Turn with me in your Bibles over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The book of Deuteronomy is located towards the front of the Old Testament. And it's here in chapter 6 that we're going to see Moses is going to lay something out for us that we have to take to heart. We have to put on the forefronts of our minds. Now this part of scripture is what is known as the Shema. This was basically a daily prayer in ancient Israelite tradition. In order to compare it, let's think of the Lord's Prayer. Something that should resonate inside of us. Something that we should remember Something that we should pray through. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This should be above everything else. Because if we don't grasp the concept that the Lord our God is one, That he is set apart. That there's nothing in this world that can touch him. Then nothing else matters. All of this does not matter if we can't grasp the concept that our Lord is above all. That he is the Alpha and Omega. That he is the creator of everything. If we can't get that piece down, 
It doesn't matter what we read here. Moses is writing here a stark revelation of who God is. He is saying that there is no other true God than Yahweh. This one phrase is so simple, yet it carries with it the essence, the pure essence of who God is, of what His love looks like, of His grace and mercy, the fact that He is above everything. He overcomes everything. Even death cannot hold Him. This idea that the Lord our God is one communicates to the people that the Lord is unique. That He is set apart. And it was then and it is now highly important that we have this on our hearts and understand this one concept above all else. Moses is writing this in a context and a culture where there are all kinds of false religions and idols that are competing for the people's attentions. That are trying to sway how they feel about things, what they believe in things, how they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to act. And guess what? In our world today, we have those things. We have those false religions. We have those idols. Only we call it technology and sports and hobbies. That's our false religions. That's our idols. Because that's what's pulling us away from spending time with the Father. What's our legacy? What are we passing on? If you look at it from the world, we're passing on everything but God. Here in this chapter, we have a powerful and almighty God being revealed to His people. And Moses is explaining how we are to respond. Let's look in verse 5. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is not a halfway doing it. This is not a 90% thing. This is not whenever I feel like it. This is 100% giving God everything. First and foremost, loving Him with all of my soul, all my strength, all my heart. If I'm to do that, then He is the first person I think about. He is above everything that this world has to offer. Something I believe that's important for us to see here is that Moses, before he ever gets to the point of calling people into action, before he ever lays out how we are supposed to do this one thing, how we're ever supposed to, later in the Great Commission, how we're ever supposed to do that is we have to have this deep ingrained in our hearts. The Lord God is one, and we are to love Him with everything. This is step one. When we pull out an instruction manual, we don't start at step 36. We start at step one. I was thinking about when I was growing up, Taco Bell used to have these wrappers that would come in their soft tacos. And I don't know how many of y'all have ever experienced this, but growing up, I remember laughing so hard at this. I was talking to Miss Kathy about this, that on the wrapper of the soft taco, when you unfolded the little outer flap, it said, step one, unfold. Okay. 
Step two, pull taco out. Well, duh. Step three, enjoy. Okay, you've got to ask yourself how many people grabbed a soft taco and just started eating with the paper on it. I mean, why did they feel like they had to put it on the paper? Step one, unfold. Step two, slide it out. Step three, enjoy. I think they finally started realizing that people are smart enough how to eat a taco. They took it off the wrappers. Either that or they just figured nobody's going to get the concept, so let's just let them do what they want to do. I mean, I don't know. I told Miss Kathy between the services, I was like, you know what? One day, I, I remember vividly thinking, one day I just want to try it just to see what it tastes like if I don't follow the instructions. But you had to start with step one. And step one was unfolding it. Well, step one, unfold. Open the Bible. And start reading. And let it soak in. I want to pause right there and I want, to th- I want us to think about how this applies to our daily lives. And the legacy that we are leaving behind for our children. Before we as parents can ever teach our children about God, we have got to have it ingrained in ourselves first. Because if it's not in here, it is not going to come out. And guess what? Our kids see right through any kind of falsity. If we say that God is the most important thing in our lives, but our hobbies require more of our uh, excitement level, they're not listening to what we're saying. They're seeing what we're doing. There needs to be a passion and a personal confession that our Lord God is number one. We must understand and realize that He is unique. He is set apart. We need to ask ourselves two important questions. Has God truly taken a root in my heart? Has He really grasped a hold? Is my heart fully given to God? That's step one. Because if He hasn't, We need to visit that. We need to look at that and figure out why. I remember as I was searching about what it means, what Christianity is all about. What does it mean to have a relationship with this God people are talking about? I remember a spiritual mentor of mine from those years ago said, I don't want you to have a relationship with Christ until you understand what it means. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. But I get it. Because what he was saying was, if you just accept a relationship with Christ and you don't understand what it means to have that relationship, it's going to be nothing to you. But if you take the time to think about it, to let it soak in, then when you accept, it's the most important thing in the world to you, which is what it should be. Do The other part is, do we have an affection for him? Are we moved by the one who has laid down everything for us? The one who was on the cross, who took the wrath for our sin and gave us his righteousness to connect us back to the Father for all eternity. Are we moved? Has he grasped a hold of our hearts? And do we have an affection for him? That's step two. Do we have the affection Are we moved by Him? 
Do we understand the concept that we are broken and we are sinful and it is through the acts of God that we are redeemed? That we have a Savior who loves us to the point that He laid down everything for us. These questions we've got to take a hard and honest look at. And I know it requires us to be vulnerable. I know it requires us to face reality. And most of the time we don't want to do that. Because it means we have to be honest with ourselves. But the answer to these questions explains where we're passionate. It explains where our heart is. You want to know what you're passing on to your kids and to your grandkids and on down the line? Answer those two questions. Because that will tell you. All right, so how do we get to the point where we're going to teach the next generations how to have a deep affection for God? Well, first, I believe there's a big difference between talking about loving Christ actually loving him we can say all day long that we love god and he's the most important thing in our life but are our actions matching up because if they're not it doesn't matter what we say it doesn't matter what we communicate through words we're not talking about having a dry dry scripture memorization We're not talking about opening our Bibles every once in a while. We're not talking about coming to church whenever we feel like it. And let's all be honest, over the last year, we've kind of grown custom to doing just that. To some level in our lives. It's fantastic that we are able to stream. To where if you can't be here in person, you're able to connect with us. That is absolutely wonderful. But we've gotten to the point where we wake up on Sunday morning and go, ah, watch the sermon tonight. Or I'll watch it on Tuesday. I've got some stuff to do. And it's drifted us into, a, I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it when I feel comfortable. Or I'll do it when something bad's happening in my life and I need a little bit of humor. Or I need a good word. What we're talking about is steeping in the Word of God. What we're talking about is engulfing all of what a relationship with God is. We're talking about making it an impact, having having an impact on our hearts and our lives and on future generations that are coming after us. Think about when you make a good cup of hot tea. How many of y'all like tea? Yeah? Okay, for y'all out there, everybody raise their hands. Even, even Ernest. When you make a good cup of hot tea, you don't take the hot water and set it on the counter and put a tea bag next to it and go, all right, at some point that's going to steep in. Or you don't take the bag and you dip it in and pull it right back out. Because what do you have? You have a little bit of water with a little bit of a brown tint to it. Or you put it in, but you never really do anything with it. And what ends up is it gets cold and now you have brown water. You don't have hot tea. What you do is you steep the tea bag. You take the hot water, you put the tea bag in it, you let it soak. 
until the water gets transformed by the tea bags, by the tea leaves, and it becomes tea. And then you can enjoy the satisfaction that comes from that. Too often what we do in our lives is we're trying to pass brown water for tea. We're trying to say, you know what? I'm going to do it when I feel like it. And the water gets cold. I'm going to do it only how much I want to do it. And we don't have the full relationship. We need to put it in. Let it steep. Let it transform that water to where we can enjoy the satisfaction that comes from it. You know, in our culture today, we lose the idea of meditation. We lose the idea of quietness of heart. We lose the idea of contemplation. Because in our culture, we have grown accustomed to speed and efficiency. We've grown accustomed to the fact that we can have what we want, when we want, how we want it, at the speed that we want it. And anything else frustrates us. I remember this morning coming in, I was stopping for some breakfast. And the first thought that entered my mind was, okay, is the drive through or going in quicker? Because I need quick. I was getting the same food. The same quality was going to be there, but I wanted it fast. We do that with our lives. We all have those Bible apps on our phones. And it's real easy to just punch up what we want in a split second. I have one. I use it a lot. But that has taken the place of this. Of sitting and soaking in what God is telling us. Because we want speed. We want efficiency. And we look at that and go, okay, yeah, that's what that passage says. And then we put it away and we move on. Instead of sitting and going, okay, God, let me steep in your word. Let me see what you have to tell me. Now, from a worldly perspective, we can be very successful. From a worldly perspective, we can have a great family that laughs and has a good time. That we have a lot of possessions. That our kids are yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Very respectful. Upright, moral kids. And that's fantastic. That's a great goal to have. That's a great goal to have. Our world needs that. But you know what's more important than having that? Is carrying forward what we've always heard and what we've always said ourselves. We want our kids to have a better life than we have. Well, how do they get that? How do they get the fullness of life? It's by having a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with God, and that carries us through. Our technology, our hobbies are not going to carry us through when we have struggles. Think about this last week. We had a winter storm hit that unplugged us. Where was technology then? We were struggling. We didn't know. We didn't have this stuff. But you know what we did have? We had God. He was there. Loving on us. Giving us what we need. Supporting us. We had family members, friends lifting us up in prayer. 
If we ingrain in our kids a love for God, that leads to a fullness of life. Help them to understand what the passages are saying. Help them to understand what God is trying to tell them. And isn't that truly what we want for our kids? To give them that better life, that fullness of life. The ability to weather storms that come along. Let's continue on. We'll look at verse 7 and 9 as we see how Moses is going to instruct us on how to do this. Verse 7, it says, Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Alright, that sounds like a lot of information. It sounds confusing. It sounds hard to do. And oftentimes we can skim through passages like this and miss what God is trying to tell us. Which what He's trying to tell us is that we can do this. We can share the love of God with our children and He's laid it out for us piece by piece. But for us, we look at it and go, you know what? Everybody in my family is running around like crazy. Our schedules are so hectic and we are racing from event to event. We're throwing chicken nuggets at our kids in the back seat as we're racing down the road. I don't have time to teach them about God. I don't have time to sit and have conversations with them at home because it is hard enough to get everybody fed, showered, and in bed before 1 a.m. How am I supposed to do this? Besides, it's why they go to church. It's why they go to Sunday school. It's why they listen to Pastor Ernest. And while coming to church is important, Absolutely it is. We are called to come together in corporate worship. We are called to be with our brothers and sisters. We are called to hold each other accountable. We are called to grow in Christ. We are called to listen to the Word. We are commanded in Hebrews 10.25, which is part of the passage that Alan read earlier, of not neglecting to come together in corporate worship, giving glory to God. But think about this. On a typical week, one to two hours in church versus 167 more or less hours at home. One to two hours in church is not going to replace the 167 hours that you have with your kids at home. So where's the primary discipleship supposed to happen? At home. Train them, nurture them, grow them. And Moses is laying it out for us right here. Now we can come up with all kinds of excuses of why we don't or can't teach our kids. But the truth of the matter is that if we just stop and read this passage and look at what's surrounding it and understand what Moses is laying out in this passage, we see that we have instructions of how to do this. Let's read that passage one more time. 
Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when they when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your city gates. We should be striving to have gospel-centered conversations with our loved ones at all points throughout the day. When we get up in the morning and we're cooking breakfast, when we're driving down the road to get to our many activities, turn off the radio. Unplug the video games. Put the phones aside and talk. Have conversations. I know our schedules are hectic. I know what's racing through our mind from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed is what our day holds, what our week holds, what's coming down the road in the month. But we've got to take the time to be intentional. We've got to take the time to sit back and go, okay, I need to have a conversation with God. I need to have a conversation with my children. How is your day going? Where did you see God working at today? What are you struggling with? And have that open dialogue with each other, with kids, with grandkids. Having that meal together. I know for some of us, one day a week is all we get where we can sit down at the table together as a family. If that. Well, during that time, put away the distractions. Have a conversation. Turn off the TV. Talk. Interact with your kids. Interact with each other. Have meaningful conversations. And you just might surprise yourself what comes out of it. There is an intentionality in what Moses is talking about here in this passage in Deuteronomy. There's purpose and there's design. There's focus and there's attention. It's not whimsical. It's not done on the fly. It's done. It's not done when we feel like it. It's done with intentionality. What Moses is saying here is there needs to be a concentrated effort in sharing the love of God with our kids and with each other. Things are going to happen that we are going to feel ill-equipped with. We're going to feel like we can't have these conversations because we don't know. We're going to struggle on getting things started. We're going to struggle on having those moments. And we're going to miss. There are going to be weeks where we're going to go by and go, Oh, man, I didn't even have that conversation. Okay. Don't let that stop you from starting it then. Have it. Sit down with it. It's very important that our homes be a place both of theological and emotional commitment to Christ. Because our churches will never be strong without strong families. And everything in our culture today is fighting against that. Everything in our culture, in our world today, is fighting against the strong family unit. We have to be intentional. We have to step up. We have to play the game. We have to say, you know what, world, you're going to have to take a back seat because I've got to have a conversation. 
You know what? I can't, I gotta eliminate some of the things that are on my schedule that I think are have tos, but they're really want tos. So I can have time to have a conversation. When our family units are strong, when they are shining out and come together with a covenant family of faith, what happens then is we have a group of families that form a greater family unit that becomes a bright light in the community. We have a church that shines the light of Christ to a broken world, to a hurting world that is searching. There is so much miscommunication out there. There are so many emotions out there. And people are hurting and they are looking for something. They are looking for answers. They are looking for what to believe in. They are looking for something to trust in. They need God. They need the gospel message. The gospel message, God, our sins, paying everyone life. There you go. Six words. God, our sins, paying everyone life. That's the gospel. And that's what this world needs. So it starts with a strong family unit. It starts with us taking the time to teach our kids to have the conversations. And then when that's strong, then our church becomes strong. And when our church becomes strong, the community becomes strong. And the light of the gospel goes out. And we start to carry out that great commission of making disciples. We start to carry out the love and grace of God into this world. And that starts to transform hearts and lives. And it grows the kingdom. And let that be our legacy. Let that be what we're teaching the next generations. Let's not have a life where when we look back on it, when, we're, when our kids are talking about us later on, let's not have a life where they say, yeah, mom or dad was great at sports or great at business. Let's have a life where they say, you know what, they taught me about God. They taught me about the importance of having that relationship. They helped me to understand what it means to have that. They took the time to sit with me. They took the time to be the shoulder I needed to cry on. They took the time to be intentional about loving me. That needs to be our legacy. That needs to be what we're leaving behind. Because that kind of a legacy points them to Christ. That points them to God. And that's what our world needs. That's what our children need. And it starts with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love and the grace that you shower down upon us. We're so thankful that you are slow to anger. That you are abounding in steadfast love. God, you are so good to us. We thank you for the mercy and the generosity towards us that you show. We thank you that even as inconsistent and broken as we are, you still desire to use us, to shape us, to 
to help us mold and shape the next generation, our sons and our daughters. God, you came to us and you loved us first. You reached out to us to have a relationship with us, to rescue us. God, and all you've called of us, all you've asked of us is to love you with everything that we are. All of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul. God, God, the world we're living in is battling against us. There's a spiritual battle happening that we are fighting day in and day out. God, help us to put you at the forefront and to remember just how much you love us. The fact that you were willing to take our sins, to forgive us of that, with arms stretched open wide, you loved us. Help us to teach that to the children, to our children, our grandchildren, to future generations. Help us to be able to, no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what we say, that everything points to you and how you love us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.